In our modern world, um, especially in our country and in our culture, uh, one of the highest ideals for a lot of people is independence and, and self-sufficiency and you know, being your own person and taking care of yourself. And certainly there's a lot of value in all those different ideas. Um, there's a place for all of them. But in this age of independence that we live in, a lot of people are resistant to any kind of institutional associations, uh, resistant to connecting themselves to anything bigger than themselves. And while I guess that's understandable in some circumstances, we miss out on a lot when we don't have a connection with something that's bigger than me. For a lot of you here today, this being, you know, Scout Sunday, uh, all of you Scout families, I think you understand that really well. There's something about being part of something that's bigger than yourself, having this connection to, to something greater. For me, you know, I didn't grow up in, in Scouting, but I know when I look back on my childhood, a lot of the biggest and best memories that I have and, and moments of greatest accomplishment that I feel in my own growing up years, a lot of them have to do with music because of the, the groups that I was associated with, um, the bands I was with, the, the choirs that I sang in. You know, all of those things, so many of the great memories that I have, the great feelings of accomplishment that I have, come not because of just something that I did myself. Now, certainly, I worked hard, I, you know, I studied, I, I practiced, you know, I put in the hours. But it wasn't just me. Because no matter how good I might have been able to make myself through whatever efforts I may have put forth, everything that was accomplished in those groups, all the great memories that I have, it isn't about something that I just did myself. Trust me, the happy memories are not just the hours and hours of me just practicing in a room by myself. Those aren't where the happy memories come from. The memories come from the things that we went through together, the things that we accomplished together, the big moments after a big performance where we achieved what we set out to achieve together that made all of it so much bigger and so much better than any of us could have done on our own. There's a lot of good that's to be had in being part of something bigger than ourselves. The more that we can accomplish, the greater good that can happen, and not just for us, but for the world at large. There are so many institutions in this world that do contribute to the greater good. As much suspicion as we may have in this modern age of just about any institution, we have to recognize that so much of what has brought us where we are today has been passed down by these groups that are bigger than us. You can see there's power in tradition. And I think a big part of it is the wisdom that's found not just in you, not just in me, but in us. And even more than that, the wisdom that's not just found in us today, but the wisdom that's found in us over generations. This wisdom of the past that gets passed down from one generation to the next, to the next, to the next. You know, just imagine how differently things would go for most of you scouts if, uh, if Robert Baden-Powell hadn't decided one day, you know what? There's something we need to do for these young men. If he hadn't decided to write his book on scouting in the early 1900s that got this whole movement kicked off. If it hadn't been people that came after him and then after them and then after them that passed down these traditions, passed down this wisdom. Now, of course, in the church, we know that we are part of something with a long history. It's not just the things that we've come up with ourselves. 
I mean, there's a lot of good that can be done sitting down by yourself in a quiet room with the Word of God and learning what it has to say. But we miss out if we think that that's all that we need. If we think that we can just sever ourselves from the family of God and say, you know what, I can figure this out, just me and God by ourselves. We miss out on so much if we don't take the good that has come to us, that's been passed down from generation to generation to generation. Now, I don't want to confuse tradition with traditionalism. You know, there's an important distinction there. There's an important difference there. We have to learn from the past. We have to be able to be informed by the past, be informed by those who came before us, but we can't be bound by it. There's an interesting thing that happens in in the book of Isaiah as this prophet is speaking to the nation of Israel. And in chapter 43, after talking some about what's gone on with Babylon, and, you know, Israel had messed up. They, They had their sins. And because of this, they had reaped some of the consequence of their sins. And they had been taken captive by other powers because they had failed, because they had fallen short. And so in Isaiah 43, starting in verse 18, Isaiah says to them, Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. But then, just less than three chapters later, in chapter 46, verse 9, the same prophet, giving the same message to these same people, says, Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. You see, there was a lot about Israel's past that they needed to let go of. There was a lot of things that they would look back and say, ah, we kind of blew it back there, didn't we? And some of them might even say, well, it wasn't me that blew it. It was, you know, it was my ancestors. It was someone way before I got here. But Isaiah would say to them, no, you are part of this people. The sins of the past are yours as well, but you do not have to be bound by them. You do not have to be stuck in the consequences of those sins. So forget the former things when it comes to the bad. Forget the former things when it comes to what has pulled you away from God and put you in a very bad situation. But remember some of the former things. Remember the former things that endure, the things that are worth remembering, the things that will last forever. Remember that I am God and there is no other. Remember the message that has come to you from generation to generation to generation. Don't throw out everything. Remember the good that comes to you from your forefathers. When we deal with tradition in a proper way, we realize that we are the same, but we're different. You know, there are certain forms that we may take that might look a little bit different, but there are certain things that still connect us to our past and remind us of what's come before us. We have forms, and sometimes in a literal sense, we have uniforms. You know, one of my favorite parts of the, uh, the, the Eagle Court ceremony that I've gotten to, to be here and a part of so many times is when we go through, I'm, I'm probably going to get names of things wrong, but I think it's the, the, the trail to, to Eagle Scout. Is that, am I getting that right, maybe? The journey to Eagle Something about moving towards Eagle Scout. I should have kept my notes anyway. Um, but one, you know, one by one, we see this rank, you know, these ranks that change. And, and I, I really enjoy this moment when, you know, one young man will stand up and say, you know, I am and whatever rank, whatever level that they're at, and he says, I wear thee, and they talk about the symbol that they wear, the thing that signifies who they are, how far they've come, 
And you see these uniforms, you see these emblems, these things that have representation, the, you know, the, the fleur-de-lis, the, the eagle on that, on that ribbon. You know, there are so many symbols that they have real significance. They're not made up again every new generation. You know, there are things that when you see these symbols that have come from the past, that have come from these traditions, you see that and you know what it means. You don't have to explain a Boy Scout uniform. People see that and they know what that is. In uh, 1937, at the World Jamboree, Baden-Powell said about the uniform, it hides all differences of social standing in a, in a country and makes for equality. But more important still, it covers differences of country and race and creed and makes all feel that they are members with one another and one of the great brotherhood. There's something, it means something. When you put on a uniform for any organization with a long history, you know that it means something when you put that on. There are certain things that you just don't have to explain and start from scratch. And we, in the church, there are certain things that we just don't have to explain that much anymore. There are certain things that people recognize. When people see a cross today, in our modern age, they know, to some degree at least, what that means. They understand what that stands for. When someone drives by a church building, they see the name of Christ on a sign, they know, and they might not have the full picture of it, but they know that that means something. They don't have to be, it, be explained, it doesn't have to be explained from, from zero. There are things that we've passed down, there are things that we do together that we recognize, that we value And they have value because they're tradition, because they are old things that have been passed down, that they aren't something that we've just made up ourselves. And because it's part of this long history and this long tradition, we here today have the chance to take our place in the story. And we get to take our place in a very long history. There's this long connecting thread between us all the way back to the beginning of the story of God's people. Now, it's all too easy for us to sometimes think and act like a people with no history. I know for some people in the world, they might even look at us and at our, you know, 200 plus year national history and, you know, and think, oh, that's cute. (laughs) Got Got a couple centuries on you, do you? There are other cultures and countries in this world that would look at that like it's the blink of an eye. But see, our world changes so fast, and there's so much focus upon the next new shiny thing to catch our attention that we might lose our respect for the past somewhere along the way. But we have to remember that our time here is just the thinnest imaginable slice of a very long history, a very long story. And I don't want that to lead us to feelings of of insignificance, like we don't matter since we're just such a small piece of this, but instead lead us to feelings of just wonder, feelings of just being blessed to be a part of this. And that's kind of how I feel when I get to this reading that we had earlier from Galatians 3, starting in verse 26. It says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. 
Sometimes we can go by that verse and it's familiar, pretty familiar to a lot of us. And we can just read that through and think, oh, isn't that great? We're all one in Christ Jesus. Isn't that great? And we feel good about it and we move on. And we might miss something very powerful there. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. See, this doesn't just connect us to what happened at the beginning of the first century. This doesn't just connect us to the story that started when Christ came on the scene. The story is even older than that. You see, in Christ, something happens that could not happen by the flesh. It could not happen on my own. I could not make myself a descendant of Abraham. When God called Abraham and says, I'm going to bless you and your descendants. I'm going to make you into a great nation. Your name will be great. And through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And that promise that came to him that was passed down through the generations, through his descendants, I am powerless to make myself an heir to that promise on my own. There's nothing that I can do to make myself a descendant of Abraham if I weren't born that way. I'd just be out of luck. And that's the case for most of us here today, I would, I would wager. I mean, we could do some genetic profiling and stuff, and maybe some of us will find some connection back in there. But for most of us, the only right we have to claim that promise of blessing that was made to Abraham, go back to the beginning of this story of God choosing a people, leading to his son coming, leading to the Messiah, leading to his salvation, where we can connect to that story is not in ourselves, but is in Christ. Sometimes I think we need to just stop and be amazed by that, that we're not just being connected. When we're in Christ, we're not just connected to one local congregation. We're not just connected to the church in our day. We're not just connected to the ancient church of the first century as all this was getting established, but we are connected to the whole story of God. We are part of that kind of family. We have a seat at the table, a seat that we couldn't claim for ourselves. Anybody remember that, you know, a lot of us have had that, you know, that big moment when you have, you know, maybe at a holiday, a big family reunion, everyone's getting together. And when you make that, you know, transition from you're not sitting at the kids table anymore, you know, and so you get to sit at the big table, you get to sit at the grown up table. And I think some people actually never get to make that transition somehow. I don't know how that works out. But it's a big moment in a family when you realize you're not sitting at the kids table anymore. But see, for us, it's even more than that. It's not just that we're going from the kids' table to the grown-up table. We didn't have a seat at the table at all. On our own, by what we have earned, by what we deserve, we, don't, we cannot claim a seat at God's table. Yet, He offers it to us. Yet He says, I want you to be my son. I want you to be my daughter. I want you to have a seat at the table of God. Just listen to the difference this makes. 1 Peter 2, starting in verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Sounds great, doesn't it? But let's remember where we came from. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What a difference that makes. We have gone from nothing to everything. We have gone from not a people to the people of God. But that comes with it. Great blessing. Don't get me wrong. 
We can't overlook that and we can't understate it. We can't overstate it, I should say. We, no matter what we say about the blessing that comes from being part of the family of God to having a seat at God's table, it's bigger than we can imagine. But it also comes with a responsibility. It also, not only do we have a place in the story, not only do we have a seat at the table, but we have a role in the mission of God. Because see, when we become a part of something bigger than ourselves, we can't let that isolate us from those on the outside. You see, one of the strengths of being a part of the group, part of a group, can also be one of the weaknesses of being a part of a group, because we very naturally identify with people like us. And that can be good, but you see, then we take that a little bit further and we can start to identify those who are not like us. And there is a certain social utility in this. You know, it, it makes sense for, for most groups we might attach ourselves to, to be able to recognize, okay, who's in and who's out, who is like me and who's not like me. There are certain times and certain reasons where that might be appropriate, but one place where that's not really appropriate is in the kingdom of God. I was listening recently to a talk given by Richard Beck. Some of you might know his name. He's a professor and actually an experimental psychologist at Abilene Christian University. Um, he's written a few books, writes quite a bit online as well. And he was talking about um, one of the things that he discusses with his students that he calls the, the moral circle. Sort of this group that you identify with. This group of people that you say, these are my people. And because you say these are my people, you very naturally treat those people according to different rules than you treat other people. He even mentioned that he said, remember the, the same root word here of kindness is kind. You know, who is my kind? Well, those who are my kind, those are, are the ones that I naturally show kindness to. And he gave us an illustration. Well, just think, let's say you have, you know, a friend who just got a job at, at a restaurant. And just got a job, you know, they're going to be waiting tables at this new restaurant. And they say, hey, you know, you know, I've just gotten started here, getting settled in. I'm going to be working such and such. And I want you guys to come over, you know, you come eat and everything. And I'll make sure, you know, I'll wait on your table and stuff. And this, this, this will be great, you know, we'll, and you'll get to see me. It'll be, be a lot of fun. And so you go and you go to the restaurant. You make sure that you're in the section that your friend is working in. But when you get there, you see as your friend comes up, they're sweating, <laughs> They're, they're looking beat down, and you find out that as you've gotten there, it is a rough night to be there. You know that they are overloaded, they're way too busy, a lot of demands, and they're just having a tough night. And so you very naturally think to yourself and even say to them, hey, you know, we're good. Don't worry about us. Pay attention, you know, to those other tables, you know, make sure, you know, like we'll, we'll be, if we need something, we'll get your attention. But really, you know, you, you can take it easy with us. You take care of those other responsibilities. We want to we want to help you out. Nothing unusual about that. But let's say you go to that same restaurant and that same person comes up with that same look on their face, that same obvious level of stress and distress. But you don't know them. They're not your friend. You've never seen them before. You'll probably never see them again. And so when they don't make it back to your table quite as often as you think they should, you know, I think he said, you know, one of the first signs and you kind of stop making eye contact and you just sort of like, man, they come up and you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. What, you know, like, yeah, I need this. You know, you get a little shorter with your comments as time passes, you know, the, the tip that you've got held in your mind of what you're going to give starts to get lower and lower 
and lower until maybe it's gone. This could be the exact same situation, but the one that's one of my people, I very naturally treat very differently than the one who is a stranger. And that's very natural for human beings to do. But we're not called to just do what's natural, are we? We're not called to do just what our flesh would say to do. Because you see, we who are in the kingdom of God, we who are in the family of God, are called to look on the stranger like he's my brother, like she's my sister. We're called to look on those who are outside the family and say, no, they're another child of God created in his image. And in fact, there's nothing I would desire more than for them to be part of my family. But we don't do that naturally. We make these divisions. We draw these lines about who's in and who's out. It's what allows us to look at a stranger by default with suspicion, especially if they don't look like me and my kind or they don't sound like me and my kind. It's the kind of thing that allows an innocent patriotism, a healthy and good pride of place in your home to turn into some twisted version of nationalism that says, no, I'm not just different, I'm better. It's the same thing that makes it just far too easy for one nation to go to war with another. For the weakest of reasons, because you know what? There's less value to a life there than a life here because they're not my kind, they're not my people. It's what allowed, you know, crusaders in some darker parts of our past to launch out on a mission to destroy some who weren't like them while even killing their fellow Christians along the way because, oh, yeah, they might claim the same God, but they're not my people. They're not from my country. They don't serve the same king, so we don't have to worry about them too much. It's the same thing that allowed 21 people to die this week simply because they professed the name of Christ and others who said, nope, That's not us. You are not our people. And so because you profess something different than we, then you deserve to die. It can't be that way in God's kingdom. We take great pleasure and great blessing from being part of the family of God. But we can never let it isolate us from the rest of the world. That world that, remember, God loves This world that God loved enough to give His Son so that everyone would have that opportunity to come and be in His family. So how do we do this? How do we navigate this tricky balance? How do we embrace our role inside God's family without isolating ourselves and looking differently upon those on the outside? Well, no surprise here, but as always, our best example comes from Jesus Himself as we see Him In Mark chapter 1. In just a couple of verses, starting in verse 40. It says, A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Now let's step back and think about this for a minute. A man with leprosy. He was the outsider of all outsiders. If you look back at their law, back in Leviticus 13, anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face, and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. This was the ultimate 
separation from society, the ultimate otherness. Can you imagine everywhere that you go, you had to shout out that you were on your way just so people would have the chance to get away from you. No wonder when he came to Jesus, he doesn't say, Lord, will you make me clean? He just says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. He knows that this Jesus can do some miraculous things. Either he's seen it somehow or he's heard word of what this Jesus has has done. That after the life that he's spent so separated from his own people, the question isn't, can he do it? Is it? Is he even willing to? Would he even want to look at me? Would he even want to get close to me? He is the ultimate outsider. And look what Jesus does. He reached out his hand and he touched him. I am willing, Jesus says, be clean. And probably one of the strangest things to anyone who would see that scene was not that Jesus healed him. They had seen Jesus heal people before. But notice the order of operations here. You know, this isn't math, but sometimes in life as well, the order of operations is very important. He doesn't say, be clean and heal the man and then reach out and touch him, does he? Now, while that man is still unclean, while that man is still an outsider, when he's still the one that everyone else in his world would run from in terror, Jesus reaches out his hand and touches him. Then he says, I'm willing. Be clean. He touches the leper. Then he makes him clean. He doesn't do it the other way around. And I can't think of any more clear a description of how we treat those who this world may say, no, they're unclean. They're different than us. They don't look like us. See, our natural tendency is to say, hey, I will love them. I will will even share my life with them as soon as they become a little more like me. As soon as that outsider becomes an insider, as soon as the unclean cleans up their act a bit, well, then I'm ready to reach out to them. As soon as they're one of us, then I'm ready to love them as my brother. But Jesus says, no. You see, in the kingdom of God, it works the other way around. Grace draws a large circle around everyone, invites everybody in. Because while we were still sinners, remember scripture tells us, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It doesn't say after we got our act together, after we cleaned ourselves up, Christ said, okay, come to me, you who've got your acts together, you who are clean, you who are acceptable and received the love that you've now earned. No. He says, come to me, you who are wearied and burdened, and I'll give you rest. And because of this, we have a place in eternity. You see, this story that started so long before we got here, this story that calls us to be part of something greater than ourselves, but then reminds us that we don't just stay within ourselves, but go out and share that with the world. This same story that began so long ago it's never going to end. The same story, the same family that we've been invited into, 
This family is never going to fade away. Its descendants are never just going to die out and have the name of the family of God blotted from the earth. This kingdom of God that we're invited into with Christ as king, it will never, ever fall. And the great part is, our part in that story, our place in that eternity doesn't happen someday. It doesn't happen somewhere down the line. It doesn't happen at the end of our natural lives as we may think of them. But our place in that story, our place in that family, our place in eternity starts now. It's already begun. If you have taken on Christ, if you are in Christ today, you are already in that story. It started before you got here. It'll continue long after you're gone, but you will always be a part of it. Your eternity, your eternal life begins today. If you're not part of that kingdom of God, if you don't have Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your King, well, you don't have to wait for someday for things to get better, someday for things to change. But you can be part of that family and part of that story today. If there's any way that we can help you understand more about what that means, help you take any steps towards that this morning, we would be thrilled to do so. But whatever your situation today, whether you're on the outside looking in or you're on the inside looking out to the world that needs to know this message, I pray that you would remember this example of Christ and be able to show and also to receive this love, not because we're good enough, not because we've got it all together, but because we are loved by the creator of the universe. And in Christ, we are Abraham's seed. We are heirs according to that promise. If there's anything we can do for you this morning, please come and let us know while we stand and while we sing.